Awesome. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Who's happy to be in church this morning? Man, worship was awesome. Awesome job, worship team. But man, who's ready for week two of Running with the Giants? We are in a brand new series called Running with the Giants, and we're not talking about like big people. We're talking about people with big faith. Um, last week was week one. Today's week two. And so we're talking about in, in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, there's this whole list of people throughout the Bible who operated in giant faith, and it's called the Hall of of faith, where it lists story after story of all of these men and women of God who trusted God in big, crazy ways. So that's chapter Hebrews chapter 11. And then Hebrews 12, I want to show you guys, it starts out this way. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says this, therefore, referring back to Hebrews 11, the whole list of men and women who had big faith. Therefore, because of everything I just said about all these people, giants of faith, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, referring to those people, in the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And so the scripture gives us this image of all these giants of faith hanging over the guardrails of heaven, cheering us on. Since we have this great crowd of witnesses, giants of faith who have gone before us, who are watching our life, and they're like, man, I've been there. I know what it's like to, to live by faith. I know what it's like to trust God when it's hard. And they're hanging over the guardrails of heaven saying, keep going. It's worth it. God is faithful. Breakthroughs right around the corner. Don't give up now. You've got this. That's what the scripture is talking about. So we have this crowd of witnesses that are saying, keep going. It's worth it. God is faithful. God is good. He's better than you can imagine. We're face to face with him right now. And in this series, we're pulling some of them out of the crowd to say, hey, can you run a lap with us? And can you kind of give us some specific insights of what you've learned of what it means to live a life of faith? And so last week we pulled out Noah and Pastor Eric shared a wonderful word on his life. And man, Noah is a pace setter. I was like, <gasps> you know, we learned Noah. When we were running with Noah, he was like, man, integrity. Don't miss the importance of integrity. Noah told us that integrity is the signal of faith or integrity releases the signal of faith. Noah caught God's attention because of his uprightness. He just wanted to do the right thing when people were looking, when people weren't looking. Noah said, man, integrity is such a big part of your faith. Don't miss that. I want to make sure you know that. We kept running with Noah, and he encouraged us to do everything that God tells us to do. You know, he built a boat that saved his family, and all the details, I don't know, I don't... I don't, I don't read the manual when I build things. Anybody else? Noah read the manual. He did exactly what God told him to do. And he's telling us to do it exactly the way God's telling you to do it. Don't shortcut things with God. If he says it to do it this way, do it this way. And the last thing Noah told us, I'm sure he was smiling and he, as he was running back into the crowd, he said, and hey, salvation is the reward of your faith. And man, God was so faithful to save my family from the flood, and he blessed us so much. It's worth it. I picture 
Noah running back to the crowd and saying, don't give up. It's going to be hard. People are going to ridicule you. But this life of faith is worth it. And so on Noah's way back, he tags Isaac. So we're bringing Isaac on a run this morning. And we're going to learn from Isaac what it means to trust God and live a life of faith. Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much, and we thank you for this morning. God, we're so grateful for your faithfulness from generation to generation that we have generations of people in your word that trusted you and that you proved yourself faithful over and over and over again. Lord, we're here with expectancy to hear from you. God, open up our heart. Our heart is open. Our ears are alert to what you have for us, for me, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I said the name Isaac, and you might be like, Isaac, Isaac, that sounds familiar. Who's Isaac again? I'm going to give you some spark notes on his history real quick. So Isaac, we're talking about Isaac all morning. We're taking a run with Isaac. And Isaac is the son of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham, known as the father of our faith, God came to Abraham and said, hey, I've got a plan for your life. And I've got a call on your life. And and God tells Abraham, hey, I want you to leave your family and your home and everything that you know. And I'm going to lead you to this land that I'm going to show you. And I'm going to bless you. And you're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars. And um, all the nations of earth are going to be blessed through you. And so by faith, Abraham follows a God that he cannot see to go to a land that he's never seen that God's going to show him, the father of our faith. Fast forward many years, and Abraham is a foreigner living in the land that God has promised. He doesn't own it, but he's living there as a foreigner. During, the, during numerous years, God has blessed Abraham's life in abundant, rich ways, but um, Abraham and his wife Sarah are getting old, and they still don't have children. And so they're still trusting the Lord. He promises to us, but man, it's been a long time, and we're living in this land, but it's not ours yet, but God said it's ours, and, and we're supposed to have a bunch of descendants, but we haven't even had one child yet. This is where Isaac enters, the long-awaited son of promise, the son that will carry on the promise that God gave to Abraham. And so we see this in Genesis 17, 19. God says to Abraham, he says, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him, Isaac, for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. So miraculously at the age of 90, Sarah gets pregnant with Isaac. And Isaac means laughter because Sarah thought it was hilarious that she was pregnant at 90. She was 90. Abraham was 100. It was a hilarious situation. And so God told them to call him Isaac because it was funny. And I'm sure Isaac brought them a lot of joy and, and laughter. Um, so, so Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. Let's see. What does Hebrews 11 have to say about Isaac? His name shows up two different times. Let's see, Hebrews 11, 17 through 20. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac 
your, your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him from a figurative sense. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, his sons, concerning the things to come. All right, so Isaac has a crazy faith story. And so here we are running with Isaac, and we're just getting started. And he's recalling the early years of his life. And I'm sure one of the first things that Isaac would share with us is this. Trust God even when you don't understand. So Isaac is running next to us and saying, man, God's trustworthy. Man, he's faithful. Man, he always provides. But I'm telling you, sometimes it doesn't make any logical sense. I can hear Isaac telling us, let me tell you, when I was a teenager, maybe a 20-year-old, I went on this trip with my dad. It was like a three-day trip. He wanted to go to the top of this mountain because we had this sacrifice to give that God commanded him to give. And so we went with these servants, but God, or Abraham, my dad told the servants to stay there at the bottom of the mountain and that we'd be back in a little bit. And so I'm climbing up this mountain with my dad and all this wood is on my back for this altar. And we get halfway up the mountain and I realize we don't have a lamb for the sacrifice. And so I look to my dad and I'm like, dad, where's the sacrificial lamb? And my dad's so confident, was like, son, um, the Lord is going to provide a lamb. And so we keep going, and we get to the top of the mountain, and we build the altar, and there's still no lamb. And my father looks at me, and he says, son, God has told me to sacrifice you. I know this doesn't make any sense. There is nothing logical about this. God has told me to do this, but God has also said, I know 100% confidence that you are to have descendants and that these descendants are to carry the promise that God has promised me years ago. And so, son, I don't know how this is going to work, but I know even if we have to go through the entire act, somehow God's going to raise you up from the dead because I trust God's word. Son, has God been faithful to us? Can we trust God? And Isaac shakes his head, and Isaac willingly allows his dad to bind him up and place him on the altar. Isaac remembers this and is telling us, man, sometimes it doesn't make sense. Isaac's saying, bro, that was wild. <laughs> He's saying, that made no sense at all. Let's take a look at it from scripture. Genesis 22, verse 7 through 14. So I'm, I'm, I'm snipping it a little bit. So God approaches Abraham and tells him, hey, I want you to take your one and only son, the son you love, and I want you to go sacrifice him on the mountain on Mount Moriah. It's a three-day journey. So they take two servants, and it's Abraham and Isaac. And so they get um, to the bottom of the hill, and Abraham tells the two servants, hey, I want you guys to stay here, but we are going to be back. And so they trek up the mountain, and this is where we pick up the story, Genesis 22, 7 through 14. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. 
And he said, here I am, son. And he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place which God had told him, and Abraham built an uh, altar there and placed the wood in order. Then he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Which, can you imagine this? Like, looking at your kids in their eyes and and following through with this. Crazy story. I lost my place. Um, But an angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And the angel said, do not lay your hand on this lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it for a burnt offering instead of his son. Verse 14, and Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day that in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Wild story. Crazy faith. A lot of times when people hear this story, they think that Isaac was like an elementary age kid. Maybe 10 or maybe 12. But Bible scholars clearly show that he is at least upper teenager and most likely in his 20s when this event happens. In the Jewish community, a lot of the Jewish community leaders think that he was even in his 30s. He was a strong man. He was a man that could think for himself. He was a man that didn't have to be tied up by his, at this time, um, Abraham was like 120 at least. So Abraham's like 120 plus Um, Isaac is in his 20s-ish, maybe upper teens. Um, And the reason, a lot of times the reasons that, some of, one of the main reasons is because um, scripture says that Isaac carried all the wood for the altar up the mountain. A 10-year-old couldn't do that. And Abraham, you know, was a couple decades away from dying. Abraham wasn't strong enough to do that. So Isaac was stronger than Abraham at this moment. There is no biblical proof that Isaac fought his dad on this or that Isaac had resentment towards his dad about this or that there was any funkiness about this, which is crazy. Um, So Isaac could have resisted. He could have gotten away. He could have tied up his dad. I mean, like, it didn't have to go the way that it went. Um, Abraham left the servants and said, we will return. Abraham had full confidence that what God had promised, that his promise would be continued through Isaac and his descendants would happen. Isaac did not have kids at this point, so Isaac could not die at this point. Um, Okay, and to think about it, at this point, there was not like this huge history of the Lord with his people on earth. They didn't have a Bible like we do to like build up their faith. Like, well, God, if you were faithful with Abraham and if you were faithful with all these people, then you're gonna be faithful with me. It was like Noah was the only story they were hanging on, you know? And so it shows me that they had such 
both Isaac and Abraham had such robust relationship with the living God that they trusted his word so much. So Isaac is telling us this morning, don't stop trusting even when you don't understand. There's going to be things that God asks us to do that doesn't make any sense. There's going to be things and ways that God tells us to do things that we're like, but wouldn't it be easier if we did it this way? And I'm not sure I understand logically why you're telling me to do this. And Isaac is saying, hey, bro, just follow God. He's got a plan. Even if you don't understand, trust him. God is all-knowing. He has a perspective and a vantage point that's so much higher than ours. We see in uh, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. That scripture comes alive with this Isaac story, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And I want to acknowledge that this story is hard to process. And you're still kind of left with, but why did God even tell them to do that? And I'm going to, at the end of our talk this morning, I'm going to share one of the major reasons that most people think this story happened. But for right now, I just want to emphasize the fact that this moment must have marked Isaac in crazy, impactful ways. In this moment, Isaac has a tangible experience of trusting God and his father in the most crazy, absurd way in you know, hearing, we don't know for sure if he heard the voice of the angel from heaven. I'm assuming he did. <clears throat> hearing this booming voice from heaven, seeing how miraculously God provided. I mean, as a 20-year-old, his faith is jacked. Um, and I just want to encourage, just pause for a minute, because the, the father-son relationship here is super interesting. The trust that Isaac had, not only in God, but also in his father, is amazing. But Isaac was in his 20s, maybe his upper 13s, and I want to encourage um, the parents and the grandparents and the aunts and the uncles and anyone who's involved in the next generation, don't underestimate the strength of the faith within your child. Don't underestimate this next generation's ability to have a deep, mature relationship with God. We're talking about it took faith for Abraham to do this, but it took a whole bunch of faith for Isaac to participate. Don't underestimate what God is building in the heart of your children or your grandchildren, even at a young age. Don't underestimate the role that you have as the mom or the dad or the grandma or the grandpa or the aunt or the uncle or the mentor or the coach or whatever role you have in this next generation. The year before Isaac was born, God came to Abraham and said, hey, your son is going to be born within this next year. And God says this about Abraham in Genesis 18, 19. For I have known him, talking about Abraham, in order that he might command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord, for the cause or for the purpose, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken. 
Abraham knew the weightiness of bringing up Isaac in the way of the Lord, because if Isaac didn't catch the spirit of faith, the promise would fall flat. And so I have no doubt that Abraham was a good father. Can you see the image of Abraham in this story and the trust that Isaac had in his father and in his father's faith? Stories like this make you wonder, man, if I was Abraham, would I do that? If my child was Isaac, would he or she willingly believe? I'm confident that Abraham was a storyteller. I'm, I'm convinced that Abraham, of course, um, valued and prioritized prayer and reading of the word. You see in scripture that before Isaac met his wife, Rebecca, he was out in the field meditating on the word of God. He had a robust relationship with the Lord that I'm sure his dad taught him, but I'm sure his dad was a storyteller. Every day, story after story of how God had come through, how God spoke and he was faithful to it. Over and over, over Isaac's faith was built that of course God would come through. Of course God is faithful because of what I have experienced personally and what I know he's always done for our family. So I want to encourage us as parents, as grandparents, as leaders, before this next generation, what stories of God's faithfulness are you telling this next generation? Tell them how God answered your prayer. Tell them how God is active in your life. Invite them into the ways that you're trusting God right now. And I will give a shameless plug to get your kids, get this next generation to church every Sunday. Our kids are being told stories, which we disciple people by the stories that we tell. Our kids are being told stories by the media that they're consuming through books and movies and TV shows and music. Our kids are being discipled by the neighborhood kids or the kids on the bus or through the literature that's being taught at school. That's why we have to make sure that we're telling stories of God's faithfulness in the home, getting them to the house of God every week to build their faith, hear stories of God's faithfulness. Amen. All right, so we're running with Isaac. Woo, man, that was a doozy. <laughs> what else you got, Isaac? And Isaac starts, um, you know, honestly telling about his journey and um, he's like, bro, just trust God. I know life doesn't make sense right now, but just trust him. He's good. And as we're striding, maybe the next thing that he would say as he thinks about the middle of his life would be, just because God promised it doesn't mean that it will be easy. I can picture us halfway through the track, halfway through our run with Isaac, and he's saying, man, my whole life, my dad was telling me how I was the son of promise, how I would have numerous descendants, and they would carry the promise that God had spoke to my family. I can hear Isaac saying, I know my mom had trouble, my mom and dad had trouble getting pregnant, but I never thought that that would be part of our story. He would go on to tell us of how he married the love of his life, Rebecca, and how the first 20 years of their marriage they didn't have kids. Her womb was barren. It was heartbreaking. It was hard. They continued to cling to the promises of God, but it was a long 20 years. I can imagine him running and telling about the promise of the land. Man, God promised my father this land. He promised me this land, but we're still hopping tent from tent, place to place, and we don't own this land. We're foreigners in it. And man, our neighbors, the Philistines, oh. My dad 
dug all these amazing wells and they filled them all in. We're in this land that God promised us fighting to get a well with water. It's so infuriating. It's hard. I could see him talk about the challenges that he had with his own kids. Eventually, Becca got pregnant and they had twins. And I can imagine him saying, man, my boys were competitive in the highest form. So competitive that most of my kids' adult life, they weren't even on speaking terms, let alone seeing each other face to face. It broke my heart. It was so, so hard. He'd probably talk about the famine that he lived through when he considered moving to Egypt, but God told him to stay in the land. But he'd say, but God is faithful. Don't ever lose your grip. It's called the good fight of faith for a reason. Just because God promised it doesn't mean that it would be a bed of roses. We have to occupy the land that God has called us to. Isaac would probably share some of the encouraging words that God shared with him during those challenging times when his faith was tested. Isaac lived through a famine, and God spoke this to him during the famine, and he speaks it to us today. Genesis 26.3, God told Isaac, dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. When Isaac was so frustrated about the Philistines filling in his wells, and it was just a thorn in his flesh, just frustrating. In Genesis 26, 24, God tell, told Isaac, and he's telling us this morning, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants. <clears throat> so Isaac is saying just because God promised it doesn't mean that it will be easy, but don't give up. Fight the good fight of faith. So we're closing out our lap with Isaac. And um, he says, and one last thing, <clears throat> you know, following God is a wild ride. And yeah, there's going to be things that you don't understand. And yeah, there's going to be things that are hard. But man, the adventure is so worth it. I would see him closing out our lap by saying, I want you to know God is a rewarder and he will bless you and your family. We're starting out with, with Isaac, and he's saying, bro, I don't want you to miss what I'm saying here. There was definitely hard times, and there was definitely times I didn't understand what God was doing, and it was hard for me to believe that what he said was really true. But the overall theme of my life is God's faithfulness. The overall theme of my life is God's goodness towards me and my family. The overall theme of my life is the abundance of blessing, spirit, soul, body that God poured out in my life and in my family's life. Here's the deal. Even though they went through hard times, God blessed them in the midst of it. For example, during the time of famine, there was a famine in the land. And you can see through scripture that Isaac got a little nervous and he contemplated if he should move his family to Egypt for a season to make sure that they had what they needed. God clearly came to him and said, no, I want you to stay in this land and I will bless you. And so he stayed in the land. Hello, we're, we're living on the back end of a pandemic, right? It's so easy in a pandemic to make decisions that are fear-based, but God told um, Isaac, no, stay in the land, work the land, show up, keep believing, keep building, keep working, and I'm going to bless you. 
So in the middle of the famine, in the middle of the pandemic, this is what's said of Isaac. Then Isaac sowed in the land. This is in the midst of the pandemic or the famine, and he didn't go to Egypt. He stayed in the land that God told him to stay in. Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper, which is enough to say, but it goes on to say, and he continued to prosper until he became very prosperous, like trying to get the point. For he had possessions of flock and possessions of herds and a great number of servants, so the Philistines envied him. Yeah, the famine was hard, but God was faithful. And the way that Isaac came out of the famine was more blessed than the way that he went into it. That's the God that we serve, amen? Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I think as Isaac's running away, he'd be saying, man, God's good. God's a rewarder. It's tough, but don't give up. Sometimes you don't understand, but don't lose faith because God is good. He's going to prove himself faithful to you and your family. The last scripture that we see that mentions Isaac in the hall of faith Hebrews 11 verse 20 says, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, his sons, concerning the things to come. Next week, we're going to ask Isaac to tag Jacob, his son. And we're going to hear more about this scripture next week. But I want to say this, we serve a generational God that moves through families. And by faith, Isaac blessed his sons even though he was still, even though this is now Abraham's great-grandchildren, or, you know, great-grandchildren, that is the blessing will fall on Esau and um, Jacob's kids. By faith, he said, God's going to bless you. And the same covenant that was over my father Abraham is over you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for this morning, God. We thank you for those who have gone before us to cheer us on and give us perspective. Lord, there might be things going on in our life right now that we don't understand. There might be things that we sense you leading us to do that don't make logical sense. We might be clinging to a promise and it looks like it's no the, the return of it or the manifestation of it is nowhere in the future. God, we lean into this Isaac faith that trusts you and never stops trusting you. God, thank you that you prove yourself faithful to us and to our family. We put our faith and our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to close with one more story. Is that okay? I think I said I'm closing like five times. This is the last time I'm closing. All right, so I said that I would explain the Isaac Abraham story a little bit. Why did that happen? I want to give a little bit of perspective. So God told Abraham to go to Mount Moriah. The almost sacrifice of Isaac happened on Mount Moriah. Why is that important? Because modern day Jerusalem, because Mount Moriah is in modern day Jerusalem. <clears throat> and it's the exact location that Jesus was crucified. I want you to be a picture. I want you to walk the same.
same way that the Savior of the world is going to walk. I want you to paint this picture of radical trust and love. Isaac carried wood on his back for the altar up that mountain. What did Jesus carry on his back? He carried wood on his back for his altar, the cross. God came to um, Abraham and said, I want you to give your only begotten son that you so love. What do we know about Jesus? He's God's only begotten son that he loves. So in the same way that we're like, that's wild, that's so radical. How did Abraham do that? I can't imagine looking in the eyes of my kid and doing that. That's crazy. God is giving us an image of what it was like for him to send his only begotten son. Isaac gave up his life willingly. nothing in scripture that shows he fought for it. Isaac's like, God, why are you doing this? And God's like, you are painting a picture of what Jesus is going to come do. Isaac gave up his life willingly. He could have fought back his dad. He could have tied his dad up. He gave up his life willingly. Jesus gave up his life willingly. He could have called down fire from heaven. He could have called a legion of angels. He could have stopped the whole thing. The night before, he said, God, is there any other way? Even Jesus was like, there's got to be another way, God. I don't understand. Why do I have to be nailed to this cross? But Jesus gave up his life willingly. The first time that the word love is used in the Bible is when God is talking to Abraham about the son that he loves. There's significance in the first mention of a word. First mention of the word love is in this imagery of this radical, unconditional, sacrificial love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Wow. Gives a little bit more perspective, right? If you're here this morning and you're far from Jesus, if you're joining us online and you don't feel like you have a personal relationship with God, I just want to tell you, he loves you. He's been writing this radical, crazy love story for you since the beginning of time. Since way back in the time of Isaac, he had his eyes on Jesus because he had his eyes on you. If it's time to rededicate your life to the Lord or maybe say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord for the first time. In a minute, we're going to close our eyes. We're all going to say a prayer together. No one's coming forward. No one's looking around. But this is a moment, a holy moment to say, God, I receive the gift of your son. And I want him to be the Lord of my life. And I don't know how to do it all, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you and I'm going to walk step by step. Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. God, we thank you for your unconditional, reckless, radical love for us. It doesn't make any sense. And Lord, we, we, we all of us just have a, a fresh reverence and holiness towards you, Lord dedicating our path to follow you. 
you're a good God. With all eyes closed and all heads bowed, if you're here in this room and you want to rededicate your life to the Lord or you want to give your life to the Lord for the first time, start following Jesus for real. With all eyes closed and heads bowed, would you raise your hand just as a line in the sand to say, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm rededicating my life to you. I'm going all in. Online too. Let's pray. Say, Heavenly Father, I'm all in. I receive Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To further connect with us at Alive, visit us at alivefamily.church. And remember, People matter and Jesus is alive.